Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So if you remember last week, last week we went over um, three major kind of stumbling blocks that are in our way within our, our daily life. And the first of those three was uh, anxiety. So we went over pretty heavily what, what anxiety does to, to our thanksgiving in our life, but also how we kind of navigate through anxiety with also fo- being able to focus on the good things that are around us. And Facebook and all of its uh, eavesdropping glory, the next day I came up with this, this video that we're going to watch here in a second. So I thought it would be good. It's, and no one should be surprised by who's on the screen right now with me up front, but it's Alistair Begg. This was during uh, his basics conference two years ago, and if you look in the crowd, you'll actually see the back of a couple of familiar heads. But um, he, in this like minute and like 20 second clip, really summarizes kind of that entire first bullet point that we went over. So I thought it'd be good for us to, to listen to this real quick. Why do you worry about stuff? It's amazing, isn't it? Paul writes to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. Oh, goodness gracious. Why couldn't it be, don't be anxious about things, most things? No, don't be anxious about anything. Jesus, Paul, Peter, they're all saying the same things. Are you anxious about your present effectiveness? Right, you think you're doing it? Are you, are, are you anxious about your ongoing effectiveness? Just general usefulness in ministry? Isn't it fascinating how these anxious thoughts will appear from nowhere? It's real. That's why songs, poems and stuff are are helpful to us, I think. People, I think, are bemused with how many times I come up with crazy, stupid little songs from my childhood. But they're important to me. I sing them to myself all the time. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat. Leave it there, never a burden he cannot bear, never a friend like Jesus. Got to talk to yourself, sing to yourself. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, oh, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father, such as cares for you and me. I thought that last poem there, I mean, that as soon as I heard that, it just struck me to the core and the fact that the robin, the sparrow flying around with no anxieties, no cares, and that, you know, this fictional conversation between the two, the why are they so anxious? Why are humans so anxious about all things? And, you know, the, the sparrow says to the robin or vice versa, that they, they, they must not have a savior like we do that are taking care of them. So I just thought that that, and just the, the practical way that he goes through how he deals with anxiety there. Like, he doesn't overtly say it, but that's how he deals with a lot of anxiety, is having these, these biblical songs, these biblical poems stored up in his mind that he can focus on when he's going through those times of anxiety and stressors and things like that, where he can just recall them, but they don't just bring him a joy to, to know these things or to sing these songs. What they do is ultimately refocus his gaze on the Lord. So both of those poems and that song that he, he mentioned there focus him on God. They, they draw him back to it. There's another clip that he, uh, in a, one of his sermons where he sings this silly little song about being a butterfly uh, or something like that. And it, again, it's, it's talking about the butterfly and the butterfly and how beautiful it is and all this kind of stuff. But then the, it refocuses through the song on the fact that he's not a butterfly, he's God, or he's, he's made by God as a human. And by being made by God as a human, 
God has put him in the perfect right place for God's plan. And being where he is right now is exactly where the Lord has chosen for him to be. And that, that silly little child's poem, that might be a song, just refocuses him back on the Lord when he's feeling those stressors and those anxieties. Another, uh, as I was reading this week, uh, a, a book, I've, I've been trying to mention a few books that have kind of helped me in preparing for this class, but just also in general. And I just picked this one up. It's uh, called Seasons of Sorrow. It's by Tim Chalice. Um, it's a very powerful book. It's a very strong book. But what it is, is it's uh, Tim Chalice back in 20, either 2019 or 2020, might have been 2019. His uh, oldest child, his only son, passed away just suddenly, just literally just dropped dead in front of all of his friends and his sister. And uh, what it is is him... He's a blogger, he's a writer, he's a magnificent writer. And what it is, is he, he literally started writing just notes and little, they're not really blog entries, I don't think it went on his blog, but just like little articles almost. From the time that he got on the plane in Toronto to go to Louisville to recover his son's body, all the way through all four seasons of the first year of going through this sorrow. And there was one part that he mentions, uh, he went to his son's grave, and he talks about the fact that uh, as he was at the cemetery on the outskirts of town, there's fields all the way around it. And so at the end of summer, everything's been harvested. It's because I'm not talking to you, Siri. So at the end of uh, summer, all the fields have been harvested and all that kind of stuff. And he goes out to the cemetery and he realizes that there are farmers out in the fields sowing seed. So not, not seasonal for things to grow. And he says, it might seem strange for farmers to sow seeds so late in the year. The earth already beginning to harden and snow soon to bury the fields beneath great drifts. But the farmers made no mistakes, for they were sowing their winter wheat. Such wheat is planted in the final days of summer, lies buried in the field through the cold, dark months. At Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and Easter, it appears to have been wasted effort. But the farmer knows better. For as winter draws to a close, as the snow melts and the ground warms, that wheat will burst to life and begin to grow. What is sown and seasons of cold and darkness will be rich harvests in the, season, in the season of warmth and brightness. It was kind of what we were talking about last week. That when we're in our times of sorrow, when we're in our times of struggling through you know, anxiety or disappointment or those deep struggles that we go through in the Christian life, what we do in those seasons do matter, though. We can't just view those seasons as wasted time. What we sow in the dark seasons will eventually come to be beautiful blossoms in the, in the brightness. So I thought that was a great illustration that he gave there. Today, we're going to be going over some other things about Thanksgiving. So we all have some kind of goal in our lives. For some, they might may be lofty and exciting goals like climbing Mount Everest or some kind of, something big like that. For others, it may be a little more practical, like parenting a child that will just be a functioning member of society. However, if we, if we look just to have goals but no plan, then those goals are likely not to happen at all. 
it's not advisable for someone who wants to go climb Mount Everest just to go to the foot of the mountain and start climbing. That'd be silly for them to do. There has to be some kind of plan and some kind of practice put into place before they can actually do that. Today, we are going to be going over two major roadblocks in living a life of gratitude, and then after that, be going over three practical steps to combat those roadblocks that'll help push us towards a daily practice of thanksgiving. Before we get into that, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just, we praise you for the amazing God that you are. You're a God that is ever-changing, or never-changing. You're a God that is ever-present with us, and you're a God that is so good to us, Lord. Even in our times of sorrow, even in our times of stress, even in our times of busyness and, and distraction, you are always there. It's never, uh, never you that is not there. It is always us that seems to be drifting further away from you, Lord. Just call us back to you in those times, Lord. We just thank you for this time that you provided for us. We thank you for being a gracious and loving God to us that we are able to uh, be a people that can take in information and just apply it to our lives. I just pray that that is what we do with this time. It's your name that we do pray. Amen. So the first thing that we're going to be going over is the two roadblocks to Thanksgiving. These are two roadblocks that I'm, I can confidently say all of us have either felt at some point in our lives or are feeling right now. As I was writing this, this lesson out, and I was actually texting Justin Geyer about this this morning, it, I was very convicted because every time I would write something down about these roadblocks, I would think, okay, I just got to get through this season and I can actually practice this. And that's not the attitude that we should actually have. These, these roadblocks are things that are going to be blocking us from true thanksgiving. And we need to be able to understand that we can combat these roadblocks and we can do it now. It's not something that we have to wait for this season to be over. It's not something that we have to just wait for the right time to start practicing this. It's something we can practice today. So the first of these two roadblocks is busyness. So how many of you in this room have a completely full calendar? Have one appointment after another, and by the time you have one to-do list completed, you already have the next one waiting for you. Our modern culture and society have placed in us almost a requirement to always be busy. Always have a task to complete or always have an event to be at. And if you don't have that, we often feel guilty for just having that downtime. Even our vacations are so packed full that we don't get to enjoy them. How many of you have actually scheduled your time off from work with one extra day at the end of it so you can recover and recuperate from the vacation you just took? I do it almost every time. In 2019, over half of Americans admitted to be workaholics. In 2018, 74%, and this one struck me hard because I feel it, but in 2018, 74% of parents with children 18 and younger said they at least sometimes felt too busy to even enjoy life. It has become our goal and a requirement of our life to be always in a hurry from one thing to the next. However, living this way creates tunnel vision in our lives. When we live this way, we only see what's next on our agenda or what's next on our to-do list. 
and what's next to accomplish. Dustin Crow writes in his book, this kind of myopic or myop, myopia narrows our sight and we miss opportunities for gratitude. When we're looking at our work or ahead on the road, physically present but mentally absent, we miss out on life. That's, that is unfortunately or ultimately the problem of this form of roadblock. We mentally check out of our own lives as we're just trying to accomplish the next task. We don't leave room for gratitude or even for God. We don't control our schedule. Our schedule ultimately controls us. When we find ourselves rushing through life, trying to complete our one task after another, creating one to-do list after another, making sure every hour and every minute is accounted for in full, we find ourselves getting burnt out and feel as if God is not even present with us anymore. However, in those moments of busyness, God seems to be absent and not involved because we are not even looking for him. We know the truth that God is always present, but we are so busy with our lives that we forget about it or choose not, or forget about him or choose not even to schedule him into our day. Our attention gravitates towards the next list or the task rather than what God said in his word or what he shows us in his world. A great example of this is that I'm sure most of you have, but Tommy Nelson, the, the pastor down in Dallas, he uh, pastors at Denton Bible Church, and he was, he was kind of like, a, like an Alistair Begg or a John MacArthur or John Piper, where he was really starting to build up his, his ministry, like it was more than just Denton Bible Church. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us in this room have watched his uh, Ecclesiastes study. It's an outstanding study. If you have, you know, have yourself some Rocky Road, two scoops, like that's the kind of thing that he goes over and is just being able to enjoy life as a, as a Christian. It's an outstanding one. He has another great one on Song of Solomon. Well, from what I understand, right after his Ecclesiastes study was published and it was really gaining traction, he was starting to create that ministry, he actually fell into a deep state of depression to the point where if you listen to him talk about it, there were days when the only thing he could do was lay on the ground for maybe 10 minutes and pray before his mind just got distracted on his sorrow and he couldn't do anything else after that point. So as he was going through this, he sat down with a Christian counselor to get some help to figure out what's going on in his life. And he, he was kind of in that same boat as most pastors would get into. Like, I'm a pastor. I, I, know, I know these truths. I rely on God. I can't be the one that's depressed. I can't do this. So we had to sit down with a Christian counselor. And in, in the counseling, the, the counselor sat down with him and was like, hey, just take me through a day in Tommy Nelson's life. Just take me through your schedule. And so he walked him through his schedule. And by the end of the, the, the time, the counselor looked at him and went, that's not good. When, when are you even the pastor of Denton Bible Church? And he's like, well, this little sliver right here. And he's like, no, you're, that's not the pastor of Denton Bible Church. And so what he figured out through the help of this Christian pastor or this Christian counselor is the fact that 
He was so busy in his life that he left no room for joy, no room for thanksgiving, no room for what he was actually being called to do by God as being the, the lead pastor of Denton Bible Church. So what Nelson ultimately ended up doing was stripping away all these extra things, and he just became the senior pastor again of Denton Bible Church. And as he did that, it refocused his joy and what his, his true joy was in God and leading his, and shepherding his flock. Crow again writes in his book that busyness leaves no room for gratitude. It blinds us and burns us out. The second roadblock to our thanksgiving is distraction. I know what many of you were thinking, and I thought the same thing as I was writing out that last bullet point, that I don't really think that we are truly as busy as we think we are. There is so much wasted time between tasks that if we really sat down and charted it out, we would be shocked by how much free time we actually have. Well, this is where distraction enters in. This is the second roadblock. Next time you go out to eat, just kind of look around. See how many people are sitting there on their phones during dinner rather than enjoying the time with whoever they're having dinner with. Or look how many people, they may not have the phone in their hand, but it's sitting on the table right next to them, just waiting, the person's just waiting for it to light up so they can grab it and go right back to what they were doing. Most of us have a tendency to gravitate towards our phones and the quiet, calm points of our day. We don't sit and just think and be calm. We grab our phones and start that endless scrolling of app after app. Or, when most of us have a quiet moment at home, we sit and we watch the latest news or enjoy binge-watching the newest show on Netflix. Or, what about quiet times in our car or in the bus or waiting in a waiting room at the doctor or something like that? We fill that time with podcasts or audiobooks music, or anything else that will fill that awkward little moment of quiet. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that enjoying a good show or enjoying some music or listening to a good podcast is wrong at all. But I think the problem that we run into is that we choose those things to be a distraction from our day or from our minds or from focusing on the Lord rather than actually getting something out of them. Our tendency towards filling non-filled time with distraction creates parched ground in our lives. And the seeds of gratitude can't take root in that tiny little limited space of what little free time we actually allow it to live in. If busyness squeezes out gratitude, then distraction just stiff arms it. Does that make sense? Does everyone know what a stiff arm is? In football, the running back has the ball, and as someone's coming to, to tackle them, they give the stiff arm, they, they block them, and they just keep running. That's kind of what we're doing with our distractions. As we see gratitude or a little bit of free time coming towards us, we put up a stiff arm of a podcast or a Netflix show and just block it out of the way and just keep on going down our busy lives. When we have opportunities in our days just to sit and be grateful, we choose to fill it with meaningless things, to fill the gap between awkward, of that awkward gap between busy schedules. When we fill our time with distractions, we can't process our surroundings or reflect on things we have experienced because our minds are too preoccupied. So how do we combat this though? Like, again, we, we 
The pattern for this class so far has been kind of to identify problems within our lives. And I hope you've noticed that we've kind of also transitioned into some practical ways of how do we combat these things. It's great that we identify it, but if we just leave it there, then it does absolutely nothing for us. It just really just stresses us out and makes us anxious. So if, if we're identifying that we, we struggle with stress and anxiety, but we don't do anything about it, that just means that that's just going to become stress and anxiety because we've identified it, but what do we do with it? Well, what do we do with these two roadblocks? Busyness, what we see with, with these two roadblocks in busyness, our day is planned to the minute, our kids running our schedule, our jobs slow, slowly taking over our walk, waking hours during the week, and distracted, we find anything and everything to fill our quiet, calm moments so we don't feel as though we are wasting our day. So how do we combat that? How do we get to Thanksgiving? That's what we're going to go over for the rest of our time together. There's three ways he mentions in this book, and I love the way that he breaks it down. There's three ways that we can just try to block these roadblocks from blocking us into Thanksgiving, or out of Thanksgiving. The first of those three ways is that we recognize. It may sound simple, but those pesky roadblocks that we talked about just a second ago get so much in the way that we forget or fail to stop and recognize what we observe around us and what we know about God and God's word. So the first thing that, that we need to do in recognizing is recognizing the world that God has created. Crow in his book says, the very first thing we must do is open our eyes, look around, and notice the glorious but groaning, beautiful and broken world we live in. Whenever I read that statement, again, one of the first things I thought of is if you remember last week, I noticed that we, we on our Colorado vacation, we went to something called the Georgetown Loop. It's a railroad that goes up this mountain. Jeremy was over the moon excited about it. I showed him it, like pictures of it a week before we actually went, and he was just like, silently staring at my iPad as he's watching this train. I said, you want to go on that, buddy? He goes, I want to go right now. <laughs> However, um, when we scheduled our, we have to buy tickets beforehand. They give you a time. When we scheduled it, we thought we had built in enough time to drive from a, uh, basically like a goodbye brunch to my family to get there. And as we got in the car, we realized we said our goodbyes just a little bit too long. And so we had cut out almost any free time that we had to get there. So anything goes wrong, we're not hitting this train. And so for the entire, I think it was an hour and a half, almost two hour drive from this brunch to this railroad, it, it was nothing but stress. Me and Jess were like head down, just we have to get there. We can't, well, I cannot look at Jeremy and say, sorry, buddy, we're not, that was the last train. We're not going to be able to do this. The one thing you were looking forward to in Colorado, we're not going to do. I couldn't do that to him. So the entire time, we were just, just head down getting to this train. That was the only thing we were focused on. Meanwhile, we're literally driving through the Rocky Mountains on an interstate. Beautiful mountains everywhere around us, and we did not notice a single one of them on the way to this train. We got to the train. We were able to get on the train. Kids loved it. Pictures are on Facebook. Feel free to look at them. 
However, on the way back, I looked at Jess and said, that was literally, like, I've, I've driven through Baghdad in a war zone. That drive was more stressful than Baghdad in a war zone. <laughs> and so I told her, I was like, we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to relax on the way home. We're just going to relax. We're not going to stress out. And so what we did was we actually, once we left Georgetown, there was this little turnoff, and it was a scenic bypass, added way much more time to the run. However, we got off of the interstate and we just enjoyed being in God's creation. We drove through some of the mountains. We went through some of these little small towns. We got to really appreciate everything that God had created and the way that man has also adapted God's creation to help us survive and thrive as well. And by that, I mean we stopped at a barbecue restaurant. It was great. So that is what, what Crow was kind of uh, saying to us. That's what Crow was pointing out in this recognized portion. We were driving through the Rocky Mountains, one of the greatest mountain ranges on our planet, and didn't notice a single cliff or a single snowy peak, nothing. It wasn't until we actually stopped, took a breath, and realized, okay, look at where we are. Look at the things around us. Recognize what God has done, that we actually got to enjoy the drive. The second part that, that Crow mentions is the fact that we don't really appreciate God's word even when we're in it. So how do you, and I'm not saying this to convict everybody, so just let's start there. I'm, I'm happy if you're in the word. But how do you read the Bible? Do you just skim it? Do you find yourself trying to rigidly read it within the allotted little tiny space of time you've, you've scheduled it in your day? Or do you even have that place scheduled out in your busy day? Crow says, don't skim it, study it. Be on the lookout for God in it. Identify his promises, blessings, works, attributes, and truth. We all too often either, one, don't schedule the time or don't have the time to get into the word. Or two, when we are actually in the word, we're not actually enjoying the word. We're just forcing our way through it. It's an amazing thing if you sit back and you recognize what the Bible actually is. We have a God that created us and created everything. But more than that, we have a God that created us as man in his image to have an intellect and an ability to read, to create the written word, to communicate with each other through that. But further than that, God inspired, he, he introduced himself to this creation for no reason. Like he, he had no real reason except for his own glory to reveal himself to us and he chose to do so in his love and his grace to us. After that, he inspired men to use that intellect that he instilled in us and that ability to write, to write down everything we need to know about him to come to him in salvation. That's what we have in the Word. And we all too often sit down and think, okay, let's read about Abraham today. What did Abraham do? Instead of stepping back and realizing who Abraham was, that he is this historical great figure in time that God revealed himself to, called himself to out of pagan ways, and then chose to use him to create a people that would eventually be his chosen people, his very chosen people that he can reveal himself to and show the rest of the world who he is through, and then eventually out of that chosen people, there would be a lady named Mary that he would 
by the Holy Spirit in a virgin birth, create his son so that he can be sacrificed as a propitiation for our sins. There's ways that we can get into the word and just skim over it and not get anything out of it. And there's ways that we can sit and meditate and really revel in what the Lord has done for us. But what we have to do to get to that point is have that time just to sit and recognize what it is. The second, second way that we can um, overcome these roadblocks in our lives is to reflect. It's great to recognize the blessings around us, but it's also important to pause and reflect on those blessings to meaningfully increase our gratitude in our daily lives. So the example I'm about to get might seem a little dramatic to you, but it's definitely not to me. So myself and Bo Johnson meet every Wednesday morning before either of us go to work. And the place that we've chosen to meet is probably one of my great pleasures, and that's Duncan. I really enjoy coffee. I actually really like coffee. And I actually really love coffee. If there is a tangible way to see, smell, and hold in our hands the way that God loves us, it's through coffee. Dustin Crow also gives an example of this within his book about coffee. And he, he does it amazing, probably better than I'm going to do here, but he does a great job at showing how we can reflect on God's goodness and give thanks to the Lord through just daily things. One of the things he mentions is going to a coffee shop. So think about the coffee shop. If, let's, let's all pretend that we're sitting right now in a coffee shop. As you look around, you can stop and you can recognize what it is. Just take a moment and look around at the group of people sitting in the coffee shop with you. Reflect and be glad for the diverse way God created people. As you can sit there, I can guarantee you, you're going to see different personalities. You're going to see different colors of people. You're going to see different ways that God has chosen people to interact with each other. All of these are things that we can stop, reflect on, and be thankful for. But what about the coffee itself? What does the coffee do for us? For me, it brings me pleasure. How good does it feel on, a, on cold, wintry days just to take a sip of coffee? That's something God instilled in us. There's no reason that we should enjoy coffee. There's no reason we should enjoy food except for the pleasure that it gives us so that we can reflect that back to God and be and grateful for it. How about the energy that it gives you? As you go through these busy scheduled days, these to-do lists that you have every single day, coffee gives you the energy often to get through it. If you have four little kids at home, coffee gives you the energy to get through the day. Or think about just how that coffee got from the plant that it was growing on to your table. We can go way back. We can actually go all the way back to the creation. We can reflect on the way that back in the creation on the third day, God created vegetation, including the plants that coffee grows on. He also created man on the, fifth, or on the sixth day. 
And to our great blessing, one of those men at some point in history had the amazing and great idea with the intellect that God gave him to turn the seed of that plant into an amazing beverage. Or today, let's, let's, let's reflect back on and analyze just how that seed got from that plant to your table. Today, that same intellect that first brewed that first cup of coffee, that same intellect that God blessed man with, there are now people who know how to efficiently and effectively harvest the seed off of that plant. There's also someone that knows how to package that, that seed and get it shipped halfway around the world to us. There's other people that know how to roast those seeds so that they actually taste good and give it different flavors, different ways that we can enjoy this seed. There's also some amazing people that know how to mix different things into it to make it taste even better so we can enjoy it even more. All of these things we take for granted. We take for granted every day. Every morning I take for granted that I'm going to go to my coffee pot and be able to put coffee grounds into my coffee maker and enjoy that. I very rarely, I'll say, until I read this, didn't even stop to consider how those grounds got to my coffee pot. But all of those things are blessings from the Lord that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve, that he lavishes on us, and that we need to be grateful for. Like I said, that may be a little bit dramatic, but I wanted to show you how pausing, even for a very brief second, to reflect on how amazing our God is in every small thing shifts our focus from grumbling to being grateful. If I wake up in a particularly bad morning, if Charlotte was in our bed every five minutes or something like that, my first thought when I get to that coffee pot is going to be grumbling, grumbling about my daughter not having a good night's sleep, and so therefore me not having a good night's sleep. And then it just rolls into, because I don't have enough sleep, I'm going to be suffering through work. And it, the grumbling just keeps building and keeps building and keeps building. But if I think, Charlotte didn't sleep good last night, thank the Lord for coffee. At least I'm going to make it through this day because I have this cup of coffee. Just in that one little shift, it'll shift you away from grumbling. Well, that's kind of an easy, kind of simple way of doing it. But we can do that with literally anything in our life. The fact that we get to take another breath is a blessing from the Lord. He sustains our life. He's not giving us life. He's literally sustaining life. At some point, he'll end that. Even in the thought that he will end that, that should give us, for those of us that are in Christ, great comfort and great gratitude. Because the worst thing that he could do to us on this earth is the best thing he can do to us on this earth. And choosing that moment in time to, to stop sustaining your life, he is choosing to call you home to him. So even the worst things in our lives, we can focus gratefully on the Lord with. The final thing in combating those two roadblocks is to receive. Now that we have stopped to recognize the world around us and reflected on how great God is and his blessing and how he has given those blessings to us, we need to recognize that we are the receiver of those blessings. 
Our blessings are gifts, not obligations. We see in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. It's important for us to recognize and reflect on the fact that our lives should be lived in humble submission to the Lord. So what does that, that Genesis 2, 16 and 17 verse tell us about our lives? The curse is when we sin, we die. So every day after that is a complete blessing from the Lord. He has no obligation to continue sustaining us, but he does. He does so he can call us home to him. At the heart of thanksgiving is understanding that we not only take a gift in our hands, but we realize that that gift is actually given. Humility allows us to live a given, received life. life. That's very different from living with a sense of entitlement and pride. Pride says, I earned and accomplished this. What we need to do is live in that world of humility, realizing that no good thing that we received have we earned. Everything is a gift from the Lord. Everything. Every good thing is a gift from the Lord. When we come to realize that we are not entitled to anything except death, that is the day that we will start realizing that we need to be grateful for everything around us. We as Christians understand that the one thing we have earned is death. All else is a gift, and we should receive it in humility. The world understands gifts as entitlements. Blessings are viewed as a right that we can demand. However, like I said, we as Christians don't view it that way. Crow also says, a humble, dependent gratitude confesses we've been given more than we deserve or have ever earned. We've been helped and blessed by many along the way. So in summary, we've got two major roadblocks in our lives, all right? We've got busyness of our schedule. We have a constant desire to be busy, always doing something, always have a to-do list. And even when we're not busy, we make sure that we're distracted with something. The three major ways of getting over that is to actually just sit in those quiet, awkward moments, the moments that we find to be awkward, and just reflect on the good things God has done for us. I can tell you, the way that I've got my schedule built, one of the things I do is I always surprise, like I just said, brew a cup of coffee before I get into my quiet time. That was actually, ironically, a suggestion made by Tommy Nelson. You know, he said, I think it's in the Ecclesiastes study that he wakes up every morning and brews himself a, a cup of addictive substance. And in that time is when he kind of focuses himself. Well, in that time, is, that's like the small amount of time in the morning that I've tried to allot myself to get on social media. So while it's brewing, I've told myself, until the final drip, I'll allow myself to get caught up on things around me. And then after that point, once I take that cup of coffee... I'm going to my office, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to get in the Word. However, as I'm writing this, I realize that 
that moment of allowing the coffee to drip into my cup, that's a moment that I could sit and reflect on the fact that I'm alive, that the Lord woke me up one more day. I'm taking breaths and watching that coffee drip in. That's a time that I can sit and reflect and receive the good gifts that God has given me.